Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. First in today's list is libiee1284. If you know your arcane IEEE designations, you would recognize 1284 as the parallel port, which is exactly what this is for. It is a parallel port library for something. This library is intended to be used for applications that need to communicate with, or at least identify, devices that are attached to the parallel port. Parallel port of course, is as opposed to a serial port. That's um, that's all I know about parallel ports, really. I've n- literally never used, like, actually never used a parallel port to my knowledge. Maybe I was on a computer at some point with a parallel port. Maybe I printed to something that had a printer connected to a parallel port some in some way, but me personally, I've never actually physically come into contact with a parallel port. Uh, it's just not something that I was ever around. I, I I had serial, I had SCSI, and then I went straight to like USB and stuff. Parallel was somewhere in there in the history of computing, and it was not in my history. But I think it's kind of interesting to take a look at what might be using this. And so I'm going to look for uh, a library or an application, rather, that utilizes this library with uh, the same command that I used in, I think, the not the previous episode, but the episode before that, 4i in slash user bin slash asterisk. And of course, this this excludes all the stuff in user s bin and slash bin. Doesn't matter. I don't I don't think it matters that much. Uh, Semicolon do ldd dollar sign i. So that's for each file that that is found in user bin. Let's do an LDD against it. I'm redirecting standard error to dev null to greater than slash dev slash null. That's so that I don't get all the sort of uh, the false, the well, the, the true negatives where uh, LDD doesn't work on that thing because it's actually just a shell script pointing to something else or whatever. Uh, and then pipe grep i, in this case, uh, grep i triple e 1284. In, in the case of other libraries, of course, I'll put that library into there. Ampersand, ampersand, echo, dollar sign, I. That's a poor man's way of just really quickly seeing what the heck I just LDD'd. Semicolon, done. So I've got two hits for this one. I've got user bin lib I triple E 1284 underscore test. And then slash USR slash bin slash sane, S-A-N-E, dash find, dash scanner, which I'm not surprised to find that that's the use case here. Uh, I I would not have been surprised as well if there had been some kind of, you know, KDE printer finder thing that was using lib 1284, IEEE 1284, and maybe there is. Like I say, I just did a really quick, simple listing of user bin, so that it, that does exclude a bunch of stuff, but I think this is enough to get the idea. Sane is a um, a scanning interface for Linux, and it it's going to look for a flatbed scanner or or you know some device that can import an image. And sometimes those devices might be connected to a parallel port. Again, I haven't seen a parallel port ever, but also in ages. Um, 
So you'd have to be running some pretty old hardware for this to be relevant, but that's the cool thing about Linux, and that's going to be, and open source, uh, and that's going to be a common theme that we're going to find <laughs> today, as you'll as you'll see. Okay, so next up is lib iMobile device. This is an iOS device communication library. It's a library to help you communicate with your iDevices from Apple, and there's a bunch of uh, things that, that use this library. I mean, a bunch. They're more than you can imagine. Um, there's, um, there's, in fact, you know what I should do is just, can I just get the grep? No, that would be silly. Yeah, anyway, there's a bunch. So there's like, um, well, everything from KDE practically is, is compiled against LibIMobile device. Just, you name it. Kate? Yes. Um, and I'm not being, I'm not, this isn't a joke. I'm. This is for real. Uh, Caligra words. Yes. Servicia. That's not even from KDE, is it? Uh, yes. So there's just. It, it's just. I don't know. Everything seems to be compiled against lib o my uh, lib i mobile device, and I don't know why. I'm assuming it's because there's some kind of hook into an iPhone especially for KDE, because they have that fancy KDE Connect thing. So I'm assuming that's got something to do with this, but I don't know for sure. But everything from KDE, and then um, maybe Servicia is from KDE. I thought that was that one application. Yeah, isn't it? This is like an ancient... No, it's not. Okay, it's not exactly the application I thought it was, but I think this is like a CVS front end or, or whatever it's called. C C V C S V C S No, CVS. Whatever that thing before Subversion was. Um. So yeah, Libby mobile device. It's all over the place, and and I I'm assuming that if you are using an i device, then the more that is compiled against low lib i mobile device uh then the more kind of um things you can interact with one way or another i mean a lot of these things i don't even know how you would interact with over any device much less an i mobile device but i mean like cleopatra clickety k info center like what are you doing with those on a mobile device i don't i don't really get it but i'm assuming it's for some kind of notification uh thing or something like that so there you go lib i mobile device all over the place had no idea i mean i i knew it existed i thought it was called lib iphone and i think maybe it did used to be called lib iphone and then they changed it to lib i mobile device probably to encompass like tablets and things like that but um yeah, I didn't realize it was just all over the place. Okay, so lib indicator has nothing to do with lib iMobile device, despite my theory that lib iMobile device exists all over the place for notifications. But lib indicator, it's a, I guess, a hangers-on from the old Unity desktop. You might remember the Unity desktop. It was kind of a controversial desktop for a while, and frankly... I don't blame it. Like, I mean, I don't blame the controversy. This is one of those controversies I can really get behind. So, Canonical, being Canonical, decided at one point a couple years ago, several years ago now, ten years ago now, um, that they wanted to have their own desktop. And it was called Unity, which, I mean, the irony here is, is palpable. It's called Unity, and it was their, their desktop for Ubuntu. Um, and the the idea was that it would have a global menu system, that it had a, a sort of a dash, a dash or a dock on the left-hand side of the screen, 
and it was fine. It was like really fine. It was no no problem. It was fine. And and it was it was kind of a weird call at the time because Gnome 3 was just kind of getting up and running and so it felt like while one group was working on Gnome, all of a sudden this other group decided to work on something that was kind of remarkably similar to Gnome 3 at least on the surface level and it just it it felt like a weird decision to make. Looking back, I I feel like it's not that weird of a decision to make. Like, I mean, it is, but it's also not. Like, you can kind of see, because, I mean, you might not like Gnome 3. I like Gnome 3 in, like, quotes. I like it. I mean, it's pretty. It's nice. People seem to be able to use it pretty easily. There are some counterintuitive things, I think, or at least maybe unintuitive things. There are some decisions that the Gnome team makes that aren't the decisions that I would make, but, I mean, they're clearly the decisions that they would make. So, I mean, it's it's a thing, you know. They, they've built, they're building this desktop the way that they want to build it. And they're the people with the tools and the knowledge of how to do it and the time and the skills. So that's what we have. That's the Gnome 3 is is the thing that they have built. And that's how it goes in software. So Unity was going to be a thing that someone else built. And and again, it was fine. Like, I, I tried it, and I remember, I think I even said, like, I, I said at the time, I think, I'd have to go back and listen to, like, recordings and find out what I actually thought. But as I recall, I, I thought it was fine. Like, it was a fine thing. Now, when all of the controversy started sort of making sense to me at the time was when, um, what was this project called? It was the Nova, the Nova Editor, or something like that, or the... N- Neutron editor or something like that, like some kind of modular. I, I probably have a, a video editor um, article. What was this called? Nova Cut. That was what it was called, Nova Cut. So there was this project called Nova Cut, which was a very exciting project at the time. It was very cool. I did a like a technical talk about it at one point. Uh, which was more of like a, a technical, it, yeah, it was it was very theoretical because it was this this thing didn't really exist yet. I mean, it did. There were there were elements of this thing that existed, and the idea was that you could, you know, it would be the 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 easy way to to just attach your camera, your um, DSLR camera, your digital camera, single lens reflex camera. So that's, you know, one of the, the the cameras with like removable lenses and things like that. It's like, it looks like a traditional film camera, but it's like a digital camera. So you would, it's not in a phone. Uh, so you would attach that to your, you would use that to take video, to record video. And, and certainly at the time, and probably still, um, those well, maybe not probably still, I don't know. Um, but at the time, that that was the superior, like, that was the affordable yet yet very high-quality method of getting video footage, really. I mean, phones were rubbish at video at that point, and digital, like, can't handheld camcorders were kind of falling off the market, but these DSLRs were, were producing really good quality, and because they... They were single lens reflex. They had true, you know, like traditional lenses on them. You could get really nice depth of field and so on if you knew how to light things correctly. So it was nice. NovaCut was aiming to take that, the, the footage of that camera, to, to make it easy to get that footage onto your computer. And then this is the cool part. The idea was that you would upload it to a storage facility of your choice. Like, it didn't have to be anybody's. They, they weren't selling, like, storage or anything. You put it online, like, literally online. I say literally because in the video editing world, there is a term called online, but that's not 
like the internet online, it just means on the on the system. So literally online, you'd put it on the internet. And then people on your network or across the internet could edit footage collaboratively. Like you would both be able to, it was, it, it was a collaborative editing process. And it was a really exciting, it was a Kickstarter, it earned a lot of money, it earned some money, I think probably less money than the project actually, well, I would say definitely less money than the project actually needed. Uh, it was just one guy working on this. I mean, it was, it was tough, you know, but it was an exciting idea. And, and it was all sort of, it seemed like it was, it had a lot of support sort of, or, or visible support. I don't know, a lot of support. It had visible support from within Ubuntu, like the Ubuntu community. Uh, it was kind of co-branded almost. I mean, it had nice branding. It was good. It was promising. And at one point I, I thought, this is really cool. Uh, you know, and I, I helped kickstart it and all the other stuff. And I did interviews with the creator to try to promote it as much as I can promote anything, which is not a whole lot. But I, I tried. I, I tried my best. Um, and so I, I I thought that this would be cool, and I was going to package it up for Fedora. And I believe I did pack it. Well, I didn't package it up for Fedora. I packaged it up in such a manner that someone on Fedora could install it. And the difference there is that you you know, if you're saying you're packaging it for Fedora, then you need to be blessed by the Fedora packagers, and this is a blessing I've yet to manage. I cannot seem to crack the code on how to get into the Fedora packaging system. I've I've tried and I've tried. I just never get past like the last hurdle somehow. So anyway, I was going to package it up in such a way that it could be used for the for some other operating system and it was either Fedora or Slackware or both or whatever. Now, why does all of this matter? Well, here it is. There were components of this NovaCut thing that relied on libraries from Unity. And at the time, I mean, it was all being developed. You know, NovaCut was being developed. Unity was being developed. Everything was kind of in flux. At the time, it was non-trivial to get the, 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 the stack of dependencies that you would need. And it was, li- it was just literally like the system tray. It was just trying to get to the system tray. Or heck, it may have even been libindicator for all I know. I don't remember. But it was just the the most trivial thing, and it was just a huge blocker, at least for me at the time. Which, you know, I'm not saying to me today, maybe it would just be like, oh yeah, okay, that's a pain, but yeah, no problem. We'll just compile this, package that, and then we'll go, we'll continue. But at the time, it was definitely a blocker for me. Could not, could not seem to get around this Unity dependency. And and as far as I could tell, that was not going to slow down. Like NovaCut was was incorporating more and more Unity libraries into sort of its dependency chain because it wanted to be able to use the features of that desktop. But those features were just really, really specific to Unity, and that's the danger I think of 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 looking out at the you know the the 90% of the market or 80% or 50% of the market and saying, well, you know what, we could have half of that again, <laughs> you know, like well, 50% GNOME, 50% KDE. Let's cut that down further by creating our very own Unity desktop. And 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 just like I said in the previous episode about Void Linux, I mean, I, I it. It's it's dangerous, obviously, to say, well, you shouldn't create something new because something similar already exists. Like, that's not what we want in open source, and I I see that. But at the same time, I also see how developing this, this other desktop in a market or in a community that's already got lots of different things going on, 
it can be tough. And especially, and, and I think if you're going to do that, I think there's kind of a burden on you, the programmer, to make those components either available or um, r sort of abstracted. It's like, yes, I'm going to use my own thing, my own indicator system, but I'm going to provide an API so that all you need to do in your code is say, hey, give me an alert. I'll translate that into my special system. That brings us back to libindicator. Libindicator, hosted on Launchpad, says that it is a system for a set of symbols and convenience functions that all indicators would like to use, not of real use outside of the Ayatana Indicators Project. The Ayatana Indicators Project, as found at ayatanaindicators.github.io or something, or .com or whatever, I think probably .io. Can't read it from here. I.O. Yeah, it is. Okay. Um, that is a project, um, the, the continuation of application indicators, a technology developed by Can Canonical for the Unity desktop. Application indicators are a GNOME implementation of the status notification specification, that's SNI, that was originally submitted to freedesktop.org by KDE. The Ayatana Indicator Project intends to become the new upstream for application indicators and associated projects with a focus on making Ayatana Indicators a desktop agnostic, meaning universal, technology. So had this existed <laughs> um, at the time, it's, well, I mean, it's just what I said, right? It's, it's basically... Uh, like it, it's a it, it's a it's a target, and you say I'm going to target the Ayatana indicator code or or subsystem, and I don't need to know the specifics. All I need to know is that I need this alert or I need this status symbol, like a you know like a in progress. Uh, what do they call like a little turny thing that turns around, spinny thing, spinning wheel of death or whatever. Uh, I need that. So I'll I'll broadcast over to Ayatana Indicator or Lib Indicator that I need this thing and it will produce that for me. Completely unrelated to that and yet kind of related to that is the next one in our list, LibIODBC. That's the Independent Open Database Connectivity Library. IODBC is the acronym for, uh, yes, I got that, an open source platform independent implementation of both the ODBC and X slash open specifications. It allows for developing solutions that are language, platform, and database independent. So if you go to iodbc.org, you can find out even more about it. But the, 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 the idea here is that people were finding that that a lot of people are developing code for um, MySQL and for uh, Postgres and for, I don't know, whatever else, uh, SQLite and and so on, MariaDB and, and all the others. Um, and, and they each have slightly different SQL format, uh, syntax, right? You know, like, you, and it's frustrating because especially as a database person, not that I am, but if you've ever used a database a couple of times, um, you start to kind of get into the, you start to see the pattern. Oh, okay. So I need to create a set of users. All right, cool. Let's find out the syntax for that. Ah, I need to grant permissions to certain tables 
to those users. Okay, let's find out the syntax for that. I need to create a table. Let's find out the sentence, the, the syntax for that. I need to drop a table. I need to do whatever. I can create a new record. I need to associate a record. I need to do a search that it, that that finds all the records in this table or, or across all tables and so on. So there's all this syntax that exists out there, and it's just a little bit different for every single database, whether it's MySQL or MariaDB or Postgres or SQL. Uh, light three or w whatever and that can get obviously pretty frustrating because we're, we're all doing the same thing here it's it, it the, the this isn't this isn't rocket science it's just a database there really are only so many things you can do with the database um, if you're doing something really really spectacular with the database you're probably not doing it with an existing database you're probably creating your own database or something so i mean the the database as an object as a target there's only so much you can really do with it. IODBC attempts to provide an API so that you can, as a programmer, just target IODBC and then whatever backend people decide to use, well now there's a translation layer between your code and whatever that backend code or whatever that backend system is. As long as that backend system is IODBC client uh, compliant, or I don't know if that's what it's called, maybe it's just ODBC compliant, but as long as it's playing along with the translator, you're playing along with the translator, there you've got that le that layer of abstraction. Super, super important, really, really useful. It, this is the kind of code, this and, and even the Ayatana indicators, these are the kinds of code projects that really increase and preserve the 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 different options that, that I think we all actually want in open source, or, or in computing at all. Um, and, and this is the kind of thing that I think if a lot of the, the, the companies out there offering even non-open code, I think if, if they would do this kind of thing, like release open source um, sort of translation libraries, and some of them do, they have open, quote-unquote, open APIs and things like that that you're allowed to, to, to make calls to, um, I, I think it would be, I think, I think things could be a little bit different than they are. Um, I know that when, for instance, Google was using X, uh, I'm forget X, uh, nope, lost it again, Jabber, the XMPP uh, protocol for their chat, like you could, it wasn't that big of a deal when someone was on a Google chat because you could just add that, that chat target to whatever chat application you wanted to use and chat with them. You didn't need like anything special. It was just, it was just another Jabber target. And that's great. I mean, not only just because it's nice that you can use Copete when you want to or conversation or whatever. Conversation, that's probably just IRC, isn't it? So Copete, whatever. One of those two, right? Um, you could use that. I obviously haven't used either of them in ages now. Uh, you could use that to, to chat with people. I mean, that's a nice convenience, but it's also for like accessibility could be really, really important. To people who, for whatever reason, can't see the the Google Chat application, uh, and and there are lots of reasons you might not be able to do that. Uh, the, the 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 brightness on on the default Google Chat application it's it's very very bright with you know white screen on with little black text. Uh, you can change it as long as you open it in a dedicated window. You can go to Google Chat, like the, the dedicated interface, and you can, I think you can put it into dark mode, but it that doesn't carry over into the unified um, interface in the Gmail uh, 
ecosystem. I know this because of, of work. Uh, so that kind of abstraction is, is really, really, really key, I think, to maintaining, if not open source code, then certainly the kind of accessibility and flexibility that that really modern computing just ought to have. I mean, it's 2023. We're in, we're living in the future. Like we we shouldn't this the all of these things should be trivial. Um, and it's it's libraries like libiodbc and even lib indicator that's making these things that's making it all possible. That's preserving that ideal, and that's super super important. So there they are. Um, I guess I could do an LDD to find out what is using IODBC. Let's find out if there's anything in slash USR slash bin that's using libIODBC. Yeah, so not really. IODBC test, IODBC test, W, lib, or IODBC ADM, like admin, dash GDK. And that seems to be the only two applications. So there, there might be something hidden away somewhere, but it looks like this might be targeting mostly development, which is fine. I'm fine with that. You know what else I'm fine with? I'm fine with coffee. So let's go get a cup of coffee. We'll come back and finish up the show. <laughs> back and I've got coffee and luckily I am going into the city tomorrow yeah uh, and I'm hoping to stop by a sort of a, a you know a small cafe where they roast their own beans I'm gonna try to pick up a bag of um, of really good coffee so uh, I, I the, the variables here are uh, whether they're open when I'm available because I, I have to do some other stuff in the city like I'm going to an event so are they going to be available if so will I be in the area when they're open and so on so there are variables to contend with I don't know that it will happen for sure I'm going to give it a go though next up libjpeg-turbo this is a high speed version of libjpeg what more do you need to know really it's libjpeg-turbo turbo.org. It's a faster way to compress and decompress JPEG images. I mean, to me, it seems like a, an obvious an obvious choice. If you were programming a thing and you needed a JPEG library, why wouldn't you use something called Turbo rather than the old one? Simple, right? Um, I don't care about JPEG. I, I I, I I used to care about JPEG vaguely. I mean, it was it was a nice way to get smaller images. But WebP has I would replace everything with WebP at this point. WebP is amazing. I mean, the quality to file size ratio is stunning. It is absolutely amazing. Use it as often as possible. Really, it is it is very very good. Uh, and you can you can export to WebP out of Krita, out of GIMP with Image Magic. I mean, it's it's all over the place. The, the weird weirdest thing about it is that well, it, not not about it, but I mean, there are randomly websites that just haven't, I guess, probably updated their PHP image magic library yet to, to accept WebP images. Uh, so you will run into surprise 
um, conflicts of, you know, incompatibilities. But uh, yeah, WebP is really, really nice. It is, it's really good. Uh, and it, it has been used, I think I've said this before, it, it has been used for like image archiving at some, some very big places that I have worked and uh, who, who, who specialize in images. So they seemed to have a lot of confidence in, in WebP. I, I, that doesn't mean anything, but I'm saying there have been places that I have worked whose business it is to do imaging, and and that, and they switched over to WebP pretty early on because uh, because of the size to quality ratio, the ability to do really really big images without any problem. It, so yeah, I, I'm pretty I feel pretty good about it myself based on you know the opinions of really really smart people. Okay, so next up after that, Lib Karma. That's Lib Karma with a K uh, as opposed to CCRMA. Uh, this is actual libkarma, and it is the library for accessing the Rio Karma music player. So there was for a while, and I am not a hundred percent. I don't remember. I don't remember it super clearly, but I, I, as I recall it, when the when the iPods were first coming out, like they they were just coming out. A lot of people probably these days think that the iPod was like kind of like the first of its kind, but interestingly, that's not the case. Um, iPod was the sort of the the MP3 player that made the the most noise. I mean, it was as I said a couple of episodes ago when I was talking about MP3 um, encoding and decoding and the controversy around that because of things like Napster and 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 just the the ability to share music over the internet. Um, iPod to to the market, I think, that looked like a multi-billion dollar, maybe they were only a multi-million dollar company at that time before the iPod, but it looked like a major player in the tech space approving what the market was widely coming to understand as a criminal activity. That is the production and distribution of MP3. So the iPod made a big deal, sort of made a big impact just because of the, the who was making it and who was pushing it. But even before the iPod, there were other digital music players. Um, I think one was called the Zen, now that I'm thinking about it. But apparently, yeah, in fact, it might have been this, the same line, the Karma and the Zen. That sounds like those are two things that would possibly have been marketed together. This one's, anyway, Lib Karma obviously is for the for the Karma. Uh, and it it's, uh, and Lib Karma is, well, it's, if you go to linux karma dot org, then you'll discover that it's a SourceForge, I think it's actually linux-karma.sourceforge.net. Yeah, that's what it is. Sorry. Yeah. Lib linux-karma.sourceforge.net. It is a project to develop software for the Rio Karma portable music player that runs under Linux. So that's that's the goal of this project. I don't know how, you know, whether this project actually is still being, um, developed or what but the the idea was that you would be able to use your little music player on linux without a problem i'm assuming unless this was like developing um you know linux to load onto karma but i don't i don't believe that's correct i believe all this is is um a, a set of drivers a set of um software um i said drivers already a uh, file system file system uh modules so that you can load the karma file system as a as an external device and then uh it, they worked with amarok and banshee amarok being the kde music player at least at the time i don't think amarok is really 
going anymore unfortunately i wish i wish it was i really miss amarok still um elisa is a fun alternative but it's not it's not amarok uh the banshee that was a gnome music player might still be i think it is still around uh, i don't really i think i just use vlc on on gnome t- typically for for music uh and and frankly i use just like elisa and dragon on kde um so that was the idea behind lib karma so it is a library that will read music from your karma your rio karma player which again i mean i don't know exactly when the karma itself the rio karma but i i you know the rio devices go way way back and it's fascinating that we've got the library for it like i say this is a a common a common theme this episode is compatibility uh it's interesting because i have right here on my desks right now by pure chance the sansa not sansa clip but the sansa something it's it's a small it's a small one it fits in the palm of my hand i mean it's quite well maybe not the palm of my hand it fits in my hand um it's a tiny little music player with a little scroll wheel and a center button so very sort of classic ipod or at least up to third generation ipod um style navigation it's got a little on and off switch which uh for for these devices kind of became a revolutionary concept for a while it's got an sd card slot which is huge because that's that just never happened on these things it's a really nice device um the danger of it is that it has a you know weird proprietary cable because of course they had to do that right because ipod had their own proprietary cable so everybody else had to have their proprietary cable stupid um but it you know it's a it goes out to usb but it, the other end the, the end into the device is its own little proprietary thing so if that ever breaks then this device is useless to me but this is a, a great little device i enjoy it a lot and it still works like it it runs just fine uh and it is running rockbox rockbox being a free firmware for music players that was developed for a very long time back in like 2006 to 2008 to 2010 i don't know um it, it, it was it was really nice and yeah you, you had to do a couple little you know little a few little weird hacks to get it onto a device but it was it, it was really nice and then you were running just open source firmware for for whatever music player you managed to get it on i've i've had it on a third generation ipod uh and that sansa both of which i have because they're both running uh rockbox and they both work quite well uh and i still well i was using them again back when i was doing business trips i would use them because i figured well like yes i have a mobile device but or a mobile phone but on the airplane like they're gonna have you turn it off or or whatever uh and then you know just using it to play music just seems like it's draining that battery unnecessarily so i would just bring um a separate music player just for my audio on the airplane so that I could burn through its battery for the 14-hour airplane trip it takes <laughs> from New Zealand to anywhere. Uh, and yeah, it worked out. worked out really well for me. It worked really well. Uh, and I may go back to it now because my, my phone is mostly dying and I don't think I'm going to be getting a new one. So because again, the phone really, it's for business and i don't do that much business that's not just sitting at my desktop these days so that doesn't really seem necessary all right next up is lib mad that's the uh 
MPEG audio decoder. So it supports MPEG-1, MPEG-2, MPEG-2.5, uh, layer 1, 2, and 3, which finally that's MP3. So that's what MAD can do for you. It can it can decode all of that stuff. Let's find out where libmad is actually being used. libmad. CDR, DAO, that's the um, CDR, what is it, DAO, disk at once. GM player, so that's a front end to M player. Lib, uh, not libmad. I mean, yes, libmad, but there's libmad. Uh, where's, there it is. Uh, talk to MP3, so that's like a table of content to MP3. Um, there's uh, Soxy, S-O-X-I, Rec, Play, those are again from Sox. Normalize, that's an equalizer, command uh, command line equalizer. Mincoder, that's in player again. Mad Play, that's what I was looking for. Uh, Mad Play is, of course, the, the I, I don't know if, it's probably not fair to call it a proof of concept uh, for libmad, but I mean, that's kind of what it is. I mean, it's mad play, and it's um, it'll play your, your MPEG files. I, I, I tend to to not use the ones that are super hyper-specific. You know, like even AUG123, I mean, like, it's great to be able to play AUG through AUG123, or what is it, AUG321 as well, but I mean, it really is just for AUG, isn't it? Uh, so, I don't know, it just seems easier to just use a command that can do all of the things instead. Alright, that's libmad. Let's talk about lib encrypt. This is the encrypt encryption library. It's a thread safe, provides encryption and decryption functions. Um, it supports all the different algorithms like uh, Serpent and a, a whole host of things that I, I just suddenly realized I don't want to have to say all the letters to. There's Two Fish, Blowfish, those are pretty famous. So lots of different ones. It's encrypt. I've used encrypt before and I can't remember what it would have been why it would have been something that I would have used. But I've used Encrypt, like, really directly once. It might have been for some kind of weird token generation for work, maybe? Maybe? Or, or more likely decryption, probably. Yeah, it might have been something to do with, with that. But um, I can't find anything in user bin that's using Encrypt. I can't find anything that in user sbin that's using Encrypt encrypt. So it seems like, once again, this is a mostly development, you know, included for development purposes kind of library, because yeah, I've just looked in bin, sbin, user bin, and user sbin. Didn't look in user local bin and user local sbin, but um, yeah, so encrypt seems to be a library uh, for development, which is fine. Next up is the libming, or mng, really, but they say that it's pronounced ming. It is a it is a library that's developed in the tradition or or the same quote, quote the same modular philosophy as png or ping I guess um and the idea behind ming is really to take on the animation duties that we probably know uh for you know made famous by gif right animated gifs they're still a thing png tried to sort of uh, uh fill that that niche. It tried to usurp that because it is possible to do uh, animated graphics with PNG, in theory. I have to admit, I have yet to see one in, in the wild. I don't even think I've seen one at all. Like, I, I don't even think I've, I think I probably tried it once and then gave up or something. I don't know. But technically, PNG is supposed to be able to do animated graphics. GIF is still the, the, the one, I guess, that's 
kind of the easiest to produce because it seems to be the thing that everyone uses. All the browsers know how to how to play them. All the chat clients know how to play them. It's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. Well, MNG or Ming was going to try to take that code or, or that that function off the shoulders of PNG and become a dedicated a dedicated sort of system for just animated graphics. A single file, multiple layers, or multiple images in one uh, graphic file specifically tailored for a network. I mean, that's what it stands for, multi-image network graphic. The fact that you've never heard of it kind of betrays that it didn't really ever take off. It is compiled into GM player, min, uh, yeah, min coder, and M player. So at least on Slackware, a grand total of essentially one application, which is, you know, M player, like that whole, that, that family, M player, min coder, and then a front end GM player, uh, is, are really the only applications that are using it. I mean, isn't there like a KM player as well? It's interesting that that didn't come up. M player, oh, maybe... SM player? There's either no such application, which is possible, I could have just made that up, or uh, I don't have it installed, which is also possible. But that's libming. Um, nice try. It is funny that GIF just sort of, I mean, the, of all the staying powers, like that's that's some staying power, that libgif. I'm, I'm still kind of surprised that it's still, it doesn't really feel all that, it feels overutilized and underutilized at the same time. Or maybe overutilized and underserved, really, would be the, the way to say that, because I do feel for as as ubiquitous as GIFs are, like, could you make an animated GIF right now if you had to? Like, right, right now? No, you'd have to, like, look it up, and then you'd have to open GIMP and do a bunch of layers and then export it, and then you'd have to export it again because you'd realize that the export that you did was way too big, and then you'd have to fiddle around to try to get it the right speed, and, and all these other sort of weird issues with, with animated GIFs, and I just kind of feel like it should be a lot simpler. I don't know, maybe it's just a niche thing that, that maybe it is simple, and it's just that there's not, you know, I don't know where to look or something. Um, LibMPC, Multiple Precision Com complex library. MPC is a complex floating point library with exact rounding. It is based on the GNU MPFR floating point library that you can find at mpfr.org, uh, which is itself based on the GNU MP library, which you can find at the gmplib.org. Where can you find multi-precision, the MPC library? Well, you can find that at multiprecision.org. Um, this is maths, and I don't know anything about it. This is a GNU, you know, MPC library. I just don't know enough about math to even begin to guess, um, really why you would want this, why you would need this. I don't know. I round up or round down, depending on the rule set. Um, so there you go, multi-precision, lib MPC. If you need better floating points, check out libmpc. libmtp is, of course, the, what is it, media transport, transfer, I think transfer, library. Uh, this is, quote, a library that attempts to support Microsoft's media transport protocol. It's funny, I didn't know that MTP was a Microsoft technology, and now it makes a lot of sense, <laughs> because I do not like MTP. Um, it was initially based on the uh, libp2 uh, no ptp2 library and uh, libgphoto2 based on libptp2 so whatever it, it's um it is it is a bunch of uh, sort of attempts to talk to remote devices as 
mm, sort of almost networked devices. And it's, it's, it's one of those really obtuse. I think the only thing more obtuse than this would be Apple's own method of trying to not talk to remote devices. Um, it's it's just it's this horrible way of, of just you know if if you've got a device you can plug it into a computer. That device has a file system. Write the driver for that file system. You're done. But of course, for some reason, that's just too much. I don't know. That makes too much sense. It's too simple. So they have to come up with this media transfer protocol or iTunes or some other system so that you can sort of present this sort of abstract... I mean, I don't understand really why you can't just do the same thing as a front end. You could have the front end abstraction. You don't have to have people poking around in the file system. You could just launch a front end for your users. You can you can put that into your code. Linux would ignore that, but I mean, you're not targeting Linux anyway. So for Windows, when someone plugs in their device that you want to pretend isn't a device and is actually a magical uh, interface, then you just don't, you just have a DLL somewhere that says ignore this device. Use this driver though, launch this front end, and, and then you know, give people whatever kind of illusion you want to create. Or same for Apple, plug it in the device, just lie to your users. You do it anyway. I mean, it's all it's all over the, the interfaces. They, they do all kinds of weird things to sort of make people believe that certain devices are a certain way. So why not with this? I don't know. MTP, I mean, it, it, it really is, it's, it seems to be basically everywhere. Like you plug in in a, in a device and one of the options is, would you like to talk to this device over MTP? And usually if I can get around it, the answer is no, but uh, unfortunately, can't always get around it. So let's let's take a look at libmtp media transfer protocol. Let's see what that's compiled into. I mean, it's got to be on um, in uh, KDE Connect. Got to be. Um, no, actually, it doesn't look like it is, or maybe it is, and it's just still thinking about it. But there's MTP album art, MTP albums. Yeah, so a lot of these things are MTP specific applications. And that's it. That's interesting. I would have thought that it would have been in Dolphin or or something, but I don't see that. Maybe those are calling out to this ultimately, or maybe not. Maybe they don't do it. Um, I've I've been using KDE Connect for so much lately, so I'm, I'm not even sure. I mean, it could just be that KDE Connect is using some completely different system. All I know is that it works really well. Oh, they are, yeah, because they have a, I forgot, they have an app on the phone, on the device. They've got an app, and then they're talking to that. Yeah, that's how they're doing it. Um, I mean, it works a lot better than MTP, that is for sure. Okay, so um, let's do maybe one more, just to, well, if I do one more, then I'll have to do, yeah, no, that's... That's a whole other screen. All right, so we're at the... That took us through to the M's. M as in Mike. And next episode, probably, we'll start in the N's, the November. Lib Nice will be first, and then on from there. Uh, We might be in the N's for, well, probably the next episode, to be honest. We might get through the O's. We'll see. But that was was good. That was a lot of libraries. And uh, I like this LDD trick. I'm I'm glad, uh, because that really shines shines a light on each of the libraries as they are actually used. So we'll keep doing that. LDD, figure out where these libraries are actually being compiled into code that you and I are using on a daily basis on Slackware. That's that's great context to have. So thank you for listening. I'll let you know whether I acquire that fancy coffee, but of course you'll have to wait until next time.
Thanks for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not Klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open job and I know it.